It's good to see you tonight. Our Lord has blessed us with some cool weather today. Hope you enjoyed that and hope you enjoy the service tonight as we study John chapter 9. If, if you remember throughout looking through this letter that John wrote, we've been noticing that one of the vast differences between John and the other three gospels is that John spends a lot more time telling us about who Jesus is rather than outlining all the events of Jesus' life, all that he did. So as the synoptic gospels are a synopsis of what Jesus did, John focuses more on who Jesus is. And that's going to be a question of controversy tonight surrounding a miracle that Jesus performed by healing a blind man. And so as we look into this tonight, a lot of what we're going to see is a conversation between uh, Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and a blind man, and the blind man and the Pharisees, and also a blind man's parents. So a lot of this is going to be narrative. And so we're going to go through some of the narrative, explain the narrative, and that'll be the bulk of, uh, of our examination of John tonight, of John 9. But we're going to spend quite a bit of time on John 1 and 2, John 9, verse 1 and 2, and talk about something that is brought up about this blind man. John 9, 1 and 2, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want to spend some time on this question that they asked. You know, just thinking about this man's situation, I want you to imagine what it would be like to have been born blind. Now, there are a lot of people who go blind in their life, but imagine being born blind. You've never seen the light of day. In fact, you've never seen anything. This man had never picked up the law of God and opened it and read it. He was incapable of doing that. They didn't have Braille back then. This man had never seen the face of his mother and his father. He'd never seen anyone's face. This man lived his life in darkness. And the disciples said, wonder who messed up to cause that to happen. And their question is, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or was it something his parents did? Now, I'll just tell you, on the surface, I'll hear that question, I go, how could this man's sin cause him to be born blind? I mean, did he sin before he was born? I mean, that really doesn't make sense to me. Maybe they had some strange idea about pre-creation. I don't know. But I will tell you this. They thought if somebody's born blind, it's obvious somebody did something somewhere, and this is a punishment from God. That's their idea. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about just that notion is this man's blindness, being born blind, the result of his or his parents' sin? There's another situation we see in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus addresses the wrong mindset of their disciples. Apparently this was a very common thing. We're not just going to see it in his disciples. We're going to see it in the Pharisees later that this was a common belief among God's people that sin caused people to suffer in life. It says in Luke 13 and 1, Jesus said there were present, or Luke records here, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. It sounds to me like the narrative is somebody walked up to Jesus and started telling him about these people that Pilate had killed and mixed their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. And Jesus said, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered these such things? Now, why do you ask them that? Because he knew their heart. He knew their mind and he knew what was commonly believed. And Jesus says, I tell you no. So Jesus answers his own question. He says, do you think that that happened to these people because they're exceedingly wicked beyond everybody else? He says, no, that's not why it happened. And he says, in fact, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
See these people coming up to Jesus, telling them how wicked these people. And Jesus says, you need to repent. You need to repent. Well, they just wanted to talk about what happened to these people. He says, you need to repent. But he says, no, that's not why that happened to him. Then it says, or Jesus said, or those 18 on whom the, the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, no, that's not why that happened. And then he repeats what he said in verse 3. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I think that's just common for us to kind of judge everybody else's sin, look at everybody else's sin, think some people are exceedingly wicked. They deserve worse than us. Jesus very plainly says, if you don't repent, you'll perish. But the reason these people suffered, the reason they died, was not because they were far exceeding wicked. That's not why that happened to them. And we know from Scripture that that's exactly uh, that, that, that's what people believe, but that's not what Scripture teaches, that God punishes people here on this earth according to their sin in all cases. In Ecclesiastes 8 and 11, Solomon says this, Notice the first phrase, Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What does he mean by that? He means because people get away with sinning, they keep sinning. That's what he's saying. Because God is not delegating punishments out every time someone sins. That's why people keep sinning. Now think about it. If God was actually executing justice on every single sin immediately when it happened, what would we do? How would we act? How would we behave? We'd gravitate toward obeying God, wouldn't we? But that's not what God does. And that's exactly what Solomon's saying. God doesn't execute justice or sentence against every evil work immediately. And that's why people keep sinning. He says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are a shadow because he does not fear before God. What he's saying is this. If people live in this life and they live in sin and they live to be in old age, we may look at that and think that's not fair, but here's the reality. There's a day of reckoning coming. There will be justice. There will be a sentence that comes, but it's not now and it's not immediate. That's not how God works. Sometimes he delays that punishment. And he says, I know this, that in the end, the scale of justice will be balanced. Everything will be balanced. And those who deserve the punishment will get their punishment. He goes on to say in verse 14, this, there's a vanity which occurs on the earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said this is vanity. What he's talking about is this. Sometimes good people suffer as though they were wicked. And sometimes wicked people prosper as though they were righteous. And he said that is a vanity that happens under the sun that is on the earth. That's just life. And, and we need to be very careful about looking at someone's tragedy, looking at someone's hardship and going, wonder what they did. Because that's exactly what the disciples were doing. They were looking at someone's tragedy, thinking they were being punished for their sin. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm not looking for a verbal response here. Just trying to provoke everyone to think, does God ever execute judgment on a sinful act? I believe he does. And I think we see that in Scripture. But he doesn't do that all the time, not for every sin. Now, does God sometimes reward people for their righteousness in this life? Yes, we see that taught in Scripture. But it's not as though the scales of justice are always being balanced and everyone's good deeds are being rewarded and everybody's tragedy is the result of some sin. That's their, that's their problem. They thought every tragedy was the result of someone's sin. And sometimes tragedy just happens. It just happens. 
Notice Ecclesiastes 9.11. He says, I returned and saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. You know what he's saying? Now, if we were betting people, and I'm not a betting person, but if I was a betting person, I'll tell you who I would bet on every time. The fastest guy in the race. That's who I'd bet on. But he says, they don't always win. The strong man doesn't always win the battle. The wise person isn't always the one that prospers. That's what he means. Nor riches to men of understanding. Nor favor to men of skill. Sometimes, time and chance happen. Circumstance happen. God doesn't directly control every situation at all times. He lets the dice roll. He lets nature take its course. Sometimes he just observes. But he's not always an observer. But in this case, what we're talking about, this blind man, this is not some punishment that has been brought on this man because of someone's sin. Now, notice what it says in Matthew 5, 44. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who, despot, who spotfully use you and persecute you. You think, we've taken a left turn here. We really haven't. I want you to notice verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What's that mean? That means God prospers the wicked. He prospers the wicked in this life. Well, I thought God punished the wicked. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But God prospers the wicked. And what I'm telling you is this idea that every time someone's prospering in life, it's because God, they're pleasing to God is not what's taught in Scripture. We can't look at it that way and go, well, I'm obviously pleasing God because I'm prospering. A lot of men who aren't pleasing to God are prospering. And a lot of people who are suffering are pleasing to God. And we can't look at life that way. And that was a problem that they had. Now, don't misunderstand that with what we talked about Sunday morning. And that is that there's natural consequences to sin. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. That's not what we're talking about. This is talking about you reap what you sow. I told, I told Shannon, I'm going to say that tonight because it's on her shirt. That's what this is teaching. You reap what you sow. Fools, because they commit sin, suffer because of their sin. That's not saying fools, because they sin, are experiencing God's direct punishment because of their sin. He's just saying that's what happens when you commit sin. You suffer. It's just a natural consequence. Proverbs 13, 5, good understanding gives favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. That makes life hard if you live in sin. But that's not what these men are talking about. So we're going to go back to our passage now. And I want to hear Jesus' answer to their question. Jesus answered, neither. Now, what they say? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither, neither. Neither hath this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, I bet that really spun their mind in a 180. Because they're thinking this man was born blind because somebody messed up. And Jesus says, actually, this man was born blind so he could glorify God with his blindness, in his blindness. Because I'm about to heal him. <laughs> And it's going to glorify God. That's why he was born blind. And he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I want you to think about this statement because we read this idea of Jesus being the light of the world, of him working the works of the Father all throughout the book of John. And think of it this way. When the sun comes up, we know that that sun is going to give us light. But eventually it's going to go over the horizon and the night comes. Jesus knows that too. That his time to be on the earth, his time to do his work, is coming to a sunset, if you will. And right now, he says, I've got to work the works of him who sent me. And this is part of that work. I am the light of the world. He's about to actually give this man illumination. 
to give him light, to give him sight, to help him see. And that's going to be a theme through this chapter as as we're going to go through it. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Get the picture. Jesus spits in the dirt and puts it on the man's eyes. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is different from a lot of the other miracles. There's one point where Jesus spat in a, in a, on his fingers and touched a person's eyes. There's other times Jesus just said, receive thy sight. Why did he rub dirt in this man's eyes? I have no idea. I don't know. But that's what he told him to do. And it really doesn't matter why he did that. It just matters that he did it. He put dirt on the man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool. And the man came back and he could see. Now we read this as though it's a story. This is history. This actually happened. This man that was born blind, who's now an adult, had never seen the light of day. And in one moment, after he washes his eyes, he can see. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. It was a huge deal. And it caused quite a controversy in this place. Therefore, the neighbors of those who had previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? People knew him. This wasn't some stranger. Because if you were blind in those days, you know what you did for a living? You sat and you begged. How many times do you read about blind people begging? They couldn't work a job. People knew this man. They knew he was there begging. He was pitiful. That's how he lived his life. He was pitiful. He relied on others to lead him around. He relied on others to feed him, to give him things. And these people know him. Well, they're in denial about it. Some said, well, that's him. And other people said, nah, he just, he just looks like him. He just like him. He said, no, I'm, it's me. <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm the beggar. I'm the blind man. And they said, well, how are your eyes open? In other words, how are you able to see? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Okay, so, so they, they've questioned this man. They want to know what happened. They weren't there. They didn't see it. And once they find out what's happened, they said, we need to go to the Pharisees. So they take this man to the Pharisees. They're going to show this guy to the Pharisees. Now, verse 14 is the narrative. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Here we go again. Jesus healing on the Sabbath. We've already seen this, haven't we? We've seen the controversy around him healing on the Sabbath. Now we're going to see it again. Okay, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So the Pharisees are arguing and some of them automatically go, well, this can't be a man from God. It's Saturday. It's the Sabbath. Obviously, he's not of God. He healed on the Sabbath. Now, that is a presumption that they were completely wrong about. I mean, for one, these people, until Jesus came on the scene, never saw anybody healed to begin with. But their assumption is it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath. And this is not the only time when they accused Jesus of being wrong for healing on the Sabbath. And he had to correct them by saying, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, it's okay to be merciful on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath. And he said, you people, if you have an ox fall in a ditch, you'll go pull it out. You know why? Because you recognize the life of the ox is important. Well, isn't this person's sight important? Is it as important as an ox? I'd say it's much more important than an ox. 
But they're going to make this accusation. In their mind, if you do anything on the Sabbath, you're wrong. So they're automatically just casting Jesus aside, saying he's not a man from God. We know that. Well, other people are using logic, and they're going, he healed a man. I mean, how can you say he's a sinner? A sinner? How's a sinner going to do this? They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. So he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He just makes an assumption as well. He's a prophet. Well, obviously he's a prophet, right? Well, they're not going to buy that. <laughs> but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now, they're in denial about who Jesus is. They're in denial about Jesus' character. Now they're just in denial that, okay, well, he, he probably just was, if, if he's going to say he was a prophet, he, this guy's probably just making this up. He wasn't blind. And so they call his parents. And they asked them, verse 19, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. So they said, We don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's our son, but we don't know how he can see. Now, here's something interesting. I want to, I want to notice the next verse. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Kind of makes it sound like they knew. They knew. But they weren't going to say. And why weren't they going to say? This is what really struck me about this. How does John know this? I'm not talking about what happened. I'm talking about what happened in their heart. Do you see this? John tells us the intention behind why they kept that back, that information back. Well, how did John find that out? Did somebody tell him? See, this adds validity to this being an inspired record, not just John's remembrance. The Spirit revealed to John why these people did what they did. They did it for this reason. Why? They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And we're going to read this later in John 2, in John 12, 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, that's the scribes and Pharisees, also many believed on him. That's on Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not Confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The parents were giving in to social pressure. They did not want to be put out of the synagogue. And look, it's not right, but it's understandable. It is. It's understandable. I get it. I understand their logic at that point to go, the synagogue's where we go read the law. The synagogue's where we go worship. The synagogue's the place where we go to draw near to God. They're worried about losing that. Right or wrong, I understand it. And I think you can understand it. The problem is, we've still got something to deal with. Their son, who was blind, can see. That should have changed their mind about who was there. Because I'll tell you, it's never been good for God's people to reject a prophet. Even if that's all he is, is a prophet, why would you do that? Every time they rejected the prophets, it brought them trouble. So they again, the parents didn't answer. So again, they called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. You know this man's a sinner. Let's think about their words. What do they mean, give God the glory? They're trying to pressure this man to say, okay, this man didn't do it, God did it. That's what they want him to say. Don't you say this man healed you. You give the glory to God. And they're really being deceiving about it because what they're doing is saying, if you're going to say this man did it, you're not honoring God. Well, who's going to argue God healed the blindness? Everybody knows that. That's why they're having the argument about whether Jesus is a sinner or not a sinner. But they're trying to pressure him into just saying, just, we know he's a sinner, just, just say it. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. 
All I know is I was blind and I can see. <laughs> They're not getting what they want out of this guy. He's not telling them what they want to hear. And they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already, but you didn't listen. I mean, we're seeing the stubbornness, stubbornness of these men to try to draw out of this man a different story, a different narrative, because they don't know how to deal with it. Do you see how prideful these men were? It was very evident what had happened. The truth was staring them in the face, but they were so prideful, so set in their ways, they're just going to fight to the death to ensure that they get the story out of this that they want. And so what do they say? Then they reviled him. Oh, I missed this part in 27. This is actually, this is actually kind of funny. <laughs> he said, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And then they reviled him and said, you're his disciple. <laughs> like that's an insult. You're his disciple. We're not his disciples. We're Moses' disciples. Now I want to recall your attention to something that we read a couple chapters back. Do you remember when they brought up Moses before and what Jesus said to him? He said, Moses, who you trust, wrote of me. Moses, who you trust, wrote of me. You're not Moses' disciples. If you're Moses' disciples, you'd listen to Moses about the Messiah. But they wore that. That was their honor. We are Moses' disciples. You're his disciple. Well, if that's what they want, they can have it. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Really think about this blind man. He's much smarter than the Pharisees. He knows a lot more. He's very rational about this situation. For being born blind, not being able to read the law like these men did all their life, this man has got a pretty good understanding of who God is and about what's right and wrong and reasonable. And he just says to him, why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he's from. He's obviously, it's obvious where he's from. Where's he from? He's from God. How do you know? Well, he opened my eyes. And then he makes this rational argument. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Here's his rationale. God performed the miracle and he did it through Jesus. And if Jesus is a sinner, like you say, how do you explain that? Does God work through sinners? Does he? No, he doesn't. He's schooling them. He's teaching them. He says, since the world began, it's, not, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. That's the truth. Look through all of the Old Testament. Do you see people being healed of blindness? You see a lot of people being healed of various things. You see uh, Elisha at one point laying on a dead child and it, it's resurrected. But you don't see the blind being healed, do you? And he says, here's the truth. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. Very reasonable. Very rational. You say this man is wicked, that he's rebelling against God, that he's not from God, then explain why God is showing his approval through him. That's a blind man. They answered and said to him, Listen, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. We've read this over and over. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. These people are slow to hear. They are quick to speak. And they are quick to anger. They don't want to listen. This man's being completely reasonable. And you know what they do? They attack his character. You're a sinner too. You were born in sin. Why did they believe he was born in sin? Because he's born blind. That's why. Because they believe the same thing the disciples did. You were born a sinner. And you're going to teach us? What were they? Sinners. They were sinners. But see, that's their view. We're here 
you're here and you can't possibly tell us a single thing. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out. And when Jesus found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? Now, often we see that question being asked of people and they will say either yes or no. But this man said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Again, he doesn't know who Jesus is. All he knows is Jesus healed him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. We might just overlook that phrase, but listen to what Jesus says to him. You have seen him. You've seen him. This man was blind and Jesus opened up his eyes so he could do what? So he could see and believe. You've seen me. You've heard me. I'm him. Do you believe in the son of God? Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. There were some blind people in this story. And I'll tell you, this man wasn't one of them. He was physically, but this man, he sees. He doesn't just see here, he sees here. His eyes have been opened, but the eyes of his understanding have been opened. And he now knows and believes in the Son of God. And Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who, who see may be made blind. Now, is that just about healing the blind physically? No. This is much bigger than that. This is about truth. That's what this is about. Remember, Jesus is the light of the world. Over and over, the light of the world. He talks about people walking in darkness. He talks about blind guides. He talks about the Pharisees being blind. They're blind leaders of the blind. This is about real blindness, blindness when it matters. I'll tell you, it'd be better to be born blind and have spiritual sight than to have your sight and be spiritually blind. But now this man has physical sight and spiritual sight. And Jesus said judgment is being brought into the world because of truth. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him, oh, he had an audience. So he didn't say this for his benefit. He said it for the audience's benefit. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Oh, they're kind of picking up on that, aren't they? You know, a lot of times that stuff just flies right over their head, but they're picking up what Jesus is saying. You know why? Because deep down, they know. Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains. Now that might be confusing. That might be confusing. But I want you to really notice something. Didn't Jesus tell these same men that they were blind? Yeah, he did. But now he's saying, if you were blind, well, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Well, he was telling them before, you're spiritually blind. But here's the reality. They were blinded to the truth because of their traditions, because of their pride. That's not what he's talking about now. He's, talk, well, he's still talking about their pride. But what he's telling them is this, because you think you perceive, because you say we see, but yet I'm right here and you don't see me, you're in your sin. Because the one thing that's going to take away their sin, they don't see it. But they're saying they do. They think they see. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a person who listens to advice is wise. You know, these people, these Pharisees had opportunity after opportunity to hear and learn the light of life, the way to righteousness and eternal life. You know what they did every time? They closed their eyes. That's what they did. Why? Because they were fools. They wanted something else. They didn't want eternal life. They wanted something else. 1 Corinthians 13, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This is about perception. Jesus says, because you say we see. He didn't say because you see. Because you say we see. We're all knowing. We have discernment. 
We have wisdom. This man's a fool. He can't teach us. You don't know the truth. You're a sinner. You know what their problem was? They perceive themselves as wise. And it's, <laughs> I've said this over and over again. I'm going to say it again. And the hardest person to teach in the room is the smartest guy. You can't teach the smart people, the people who perceive themselves as wise. He says, let him become a fool that he may be wise. What, the difference in these people and that blind man was that blind man was hungry for truth. He was hungry to see and understand. And these men, all they want to do is cover their eyes to the truth so they could hold on to their truth. I want you to notice this common theme. We're moving backwards here. Notice every time they are encountered by a miracle of Jesus or a teaching of Jesus in the book of John. This man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. That's one accusation. John 8, 48. Then the Jews answered him and said, Do we not, do we, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? John 8, 13. You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceives the people. This is how people treated Jesus. They made accusations. You know why? Because they didn't like his message. They were fine with the miracles. Everybody's fine with the miracles, right? They don't like the message that accompanies the miracles. Because the message is, you repent. You're a sinner. You're a hypocrite. You're blind. You're of your father the devil. And the works of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning of the bow, not in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. And that's your father. Because that's how you live. And so all they did was attack his character. They said, you're a liar. You're demon-possessed. You're a half-breed. You're a sinner. You imagine being Jesus? He left the Father's glory to come down to save them. And all they did was cast insults at him. Him knowing their hearts, how frustrating, how disheartening that must have been. But you know what he said? I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And I'll tell you, this blind man, he knew who he was. He knew what he needed, and his eyes were open. The problem is, Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews. He threatened their power he threatened their way of life. He threatened their traditions. He was a stumbling block in much every way. And because of that, the people rejected him. I want to leave you with Luke chapter 4 tonight. Luke chapter 4. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now this is Jesus reading, by the way. He's in the synagogue. He walks up and opens up the book of the law to the book of Isaiah. And he begins to read this particular prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wouldn't you like to have just been a fly on the wall? At this moment, you know, sometimes we talk about somebody dropping the mic. Jesus read this prophecy and he closed the book and he hands it to the person that's standing there and he just walks off and sits down and everybody in there just goes, and he's just staring at him like, what just happened? And he looks at them and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What scripture? The Messiah's coming. He's here. You know what he's come to do? He's come to heal. That's what he's come to do. He's come not to just heal those that are physically sick. He's come to preach the gospel to the poor. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. He's come to proclaim liberty to those who are captive to sin and recover the sight of the blind. And I'll tell you, he is the light of this world. He's the only light in this world. And I'll tell you, we got a lot of people walking around today and they're blind. They're blind. They can see, but they're blind. And they need Jesus. And those people needed Jesus, but they didn't like the light. 
They didn't like how it looked. I'm going to tell you, when we leave and we go out tomorrow, we're going to run into people that are blind and they need Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something, they ain't going to like the light. They're not going to like the light. Some of them aren't. But Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light. But you know what he said in Matthew 5? You are the light of the world. What's our job? To tell people about the light. To bring them to the light. To bring them toward life. And they may insult us. They may castigate us. They may run down our character. They may call us a radical. I'm telling you, that's probably about the worst thing that's going to happen to us. But it doesn't change that it's our responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ and life that is in him. Tonight, if you're here and you need the Savior, if you're brokenhearted tonight, Jesus heals brokenheartedness. If you're in captivity to sin, Jesus will give you freedom. If you have any problem tonight, spiritual problem, come to Jesus. Come down and have a seat as we stand and we sing.